Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 12. Today, Phil and I will share our rutcation details with you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So stay tuned. All right, welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and as always, I am joined with my esteemed colleague, Phil Marchek. Phil, how are you doing? Present and accounted for, sir. All right, some days well. <laughs> nice. Some days that is all we can ask for. I think today's one of those days, sir. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm I'm feeling the I'm feeling the burn. We'll get into a lot of the hunting stuff here in uh in in just a few minutes. But I'm definitely feeling the uh, the post rut, post hunting season burn of getting up early every day, uh, trying to catch a nap in the stand, and then uh, um, going to bed way too late usually every night. So <laughs> my body still hasn't quite adjusted to getting back to uh, to real life, so, so to speak. How about you? I think I think what you're really missing is the nap because that's really the key piece of all this is the nap and now now that we're back to doing the big boy stuff and and real life responsibilities the nap no longer exists yeah the nap the nap is is crucial in in my opinion the uh and i actually was making mention of that at work because i i typically with me i don't drink coffee in the middle of the day like i can't usually because if i do if i have coffee past and this is like (laughs) old guy, old guy talk here. <laughs> I can't have coffee. Now I can't have coffee typically after like 11 o'clock because otherwise I won't go to bed. Like I can't sleep right. at night. Like I'll be tired or I'll feel tired, but I just won't be able to fall asleep. Yep. And, uh, today I was out to lunch with my, with my boss and, uh, she was like, Hey, we should get some coffee. And I was like, you know what? Coffee's good. And she's like, you never drink coffee in the middle of the day. And I was like, well, to be honest with you, I was like, right about now is when I'd be napping in my tree stand. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a crashing right now. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm looking for a tree to climb and a nap to be had. <laughs> I haven't brought my stand with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I did have, you know, when I, while I was out, uh, hunting in, in Ohio the past, uh, I guess the last week uh, or week or so, a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would fall asleep in my tree stand and I wouldn't fall asleep for long. So I try to, you know, I'm doing all day sits and so forth. You do get a right. little tired and you might need to close your eyes for just a moment. Um, typically don't fall into a deep sleep though. It's typically just enough to where you're, you're still listening to what's going on, especially if you have some dry conditions. 
but uh, I definitely fell into a deep sleep once or twice to where I had that falling dream. And there's nothing, Um. (laughs) there's nothing weirder (laughs) than having that falling dream whenever you're suspended 20 feet up off the ground and you wake up and you realize it's like a windy day and you get the sways going. Yeah. I had a couple (laughs) like, uh, I had a couple of shit moments in the, in the, in the tree, but I've managed to figure out a nice system to keep myself from falling out of my tree. And then those for the, for those who are listening, I absolutely wear a, a tree harness. So I am strapped in. I actually use a descent system. So if I do happen to fall, I'll be slowly lowered to the ground safely and softly um, to uh, climb another day. So it's not as though I'm doing this with uh, with no caution taken. I don't advocate for f- falling asleep in tree stands, so just public <laughs> service announcement here. Well, hey, listen, Clint, what you do on your personal time is your business, okay? Right. If I want to sleep in a tree stand, I'll sleep <laughs> in a tree stand. It's actually really peaceful. It's some of the best sleep you can get, in my, in my it, opinion. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It is, yeah. So... <clears throat> Phil and I haven't had a chance to really catch up in a little while. I know, you know, we had we've we've put out a few podcasts since the last time we've had our BS session, so to speak. Um, you know, we had a great conversation with Ben Harshine from 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 Hunterra, which was awesome. But we, you know, obviously we're in the thick here as we hit November and are now currently in the middle of November. You know, hit the thick of hunting season. And for you know those uh, who are listening who aren't from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's hunting season officially ended, or archery, a uh, regular archery season, I should say ended here this past Saturday. Um, so effectively, you know, we're kind of done for archery season until we get to uh, late season, which will pick up right after after Christmas. So we thought that this was a good time to just kind of go through, you know, what we'll call the good, the bad, and the ugly of our uh, of our archery season and, and, and more specifically probably what we've encountered over, over rut and just kind of uh, – or over the rut and just to kind of, kind of go back and, and, and account for those – those experiences and tell those stories, the, the successes and failures, um, so to speak, if you will. And as always, there are, there, there are a little of one and, and a lot of other, <laughs> a lot of the other maybe <laughs> might be, might be a, a good way to classify things. But before we jump into all of that, the thing that we have on the horizon here in Pennsylvania, I know some places, I believe Michigan already kicked off, um, their, uh, their gun season, but we have gun season fast approaching here. That'll be the first, uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving. So Phil, are, do you have plans to, uh, to hit the timber for, for gun season this year? And what's the, uh, what's the plan there? Well, uh, on the contrary, Mr. Clint, uh, in WMU 2B, 5C and 5D, antlered and antlerless archery extends until November 26th. You dirty dog, you. So I'm actually on track to, uh, use some, uh, what they call PTO in the in the lingo. Familiar, uh, familiar. Yeah, on Friday, and uh, I'm gonna try and uh, get another whack before uh, uh, before rifle season. Before the uh, pumpkin army shows up. The, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with uh, with with the you know strictly gun hunters. Want to make sure that I'm clear there. I grew up on on that stuff, but I just kind of like that that verbiage. The uh, the orange army or, or the <laughs> or the pumpkin hunters. Um, yeah, actually, I, I thought that some of the WMUs were still open. Um, I should get out with you here. Uh, well, I probably won't be able to this weekend, but I'll definitely need to come out and, and hit you up when we uh, get to late season, something a little closer to the house, and for us to actually finally get a hunt in together. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, let me see. I was looking at late season. Uh, now, I'll definitely be flip. back at the farm for right, right after Christmas because we'll be back there, of course, for family things, which is just nice and convenient for me that I can kind of step out and get some evening hunts in there around the holiday. 
Right, yeah. Um, late season uh, Flintlock is statewide from the 26th of December to January 14th. But in terms of uh, late season for uh, 5C, where uh, where I typically go hunting, uh, I believe, yeah, that is December 22nd to January 14th as well for archery. And that's that's antlered and antlerless. Nice. So I will definitely be making a stop out to the uh, the Marchek abode. Bang 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 bang. Um, but for me, for gun season this year, I'm kind of on the fence, man. Like, and this will be, you know, of course, when I lived in Orlando for the the nine plus years I lived there, there obviously gun season wasn't uh, wasn't happening. Right. Um, but since I've been back, I've hunted gun season every year, and this year, I don't know. Like I, this. I don't think that I'm going to go out this year. Um, no, no, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to skip it and not necessarily. I don't know. It's, I don't want to sound like, you know, is isn't necessarily like a high and mighty comment necessarily, right, but right. Um, I don't know. The enjoyment that I get archery hunting is just, I don't know, not for me, at least in my opinion, it's, it's not matched by, mm-hmm. by rifle hunting. Um, well, I mean, I think it's a totally different experience, right? I mean, for, absolutely. You're doing rifle hunting, and and you're looking at you know anywhere like up to I say on average 150 200 yards with a, that a lot of people shoot, right? And it's like archery, totally different. I mean, you know, it's up close, in your face, personal, and and it takes a lot of work. There's a uh, lot of there's a not, lot of strategy that, that goes into yeah, it, absolutely. right? It's like you know, for me, rifle hunting is more sitting and waiting for something to get scared enough to run by you. Um, <laughs> you know, and then for, well, when it sounds like the 4th of July, something's going to run by you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, uh, that, and there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys, you know, that go down to our deer camp and stuff. And it's just, you know, we have a fair amount of acreage, but you know, you get 10 people on it and that acreage gets eaten up pretty quickly. Right. Um, right. you know, and to be honest, it's like, I would almost rather save that PTO day, um, to be honest, I'm, I'm taking my daughter to Harry Potter land. So I'm actually this year go. going to uh, forego the uh, the gun season to uh, have an extra day to spend at uh, Harry Potter land with my daughter. But that wouldn't necessarily always be the case if uh, if what occurred during my, my archery rut vacation, um, if it turned out differently than it had, I might be a little bit more um, ambitious this, uh, sure. this rifle season. So <clears throat> that might be a nice segue for us to maybe jump into our uh, our rut experiences this year the uh, the good the bad and the ugly um and what do you say i don't know maybe we should kick this off with you should we start off with the the, the, the well i mean the ugly? we should obviously save the best for last so so yeah we'll definitely kick off with me <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough oh so, man yeah so i know you and i text a little bit we haven't really we haven't had a conversation since since the uh since your, 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 your outings, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, right. I know we traded some texts and so forth during the, uh, during the, the episodes. Um, but you know, please, um, divulge and, uh, entertain us with your, with your stories of, of Timberland. Before we get into our rut stories, let's take a brief break to hear a word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Today's Exodus experience is again from Josh Fowler, who shares how Exodus trail cameras are doing more than just helping him in the deer woods. Well, this is my first year using the Exodus camera, so I haven't had a chance to harvest the deer with them yet. Um, one of the special moments that I have is, is 
sitting down with, with my family, with my wife and my daughter, who are also, my wife's a huge deer hunter. Um, and seeing how excited, you know, my little four-year-old girl gets to look at trail camera pictures for us, you know, it's a family affair. We, we all pile in, in around the computer. My daughter likes to be the one clicking through and looking at all the pictures. Uh, and she's hooked. I mean, she, she absolutely loves it. So as a dad, I just love being able to share this passion for the outdoors and, and hunting with her. And, um, you know, the, the, the access cameras have been a huge, just a huge plus, um, you know, deploying them and using them and replacing other brands with, with the Exodus camera. And that, folks, is an Exodus experience. There are a few things more important than sharing our passion for the outdoors with family and passing our hunting heritage to the younger generation. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, please visit them at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And now back to the show. Oh, boy. I, 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 uh, I wish that they would be more entertaining than what I fear they're going to be. But so this year, uh, I'm actually kind of on the mend right now. I'm coming off of uh, a pretty, pretty bad case of bronchitis. And surprisingly enough, I have yet to cough during this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, you, but, sound, I mean, you, it, sound, you sound almost like you look, which is pretty terrible. Yeah, no, yeah it's still terrible. <laughs> I mean, that's not a really good comparison. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so I, uh, yeah, I, I've been on the mend a little bit and um the, the the one real solid day that I got out was actually uh, last Friday um, because before that I mean I was just, I was atrocious I mean you think I look bad I just sounded horrific um, and you know I, I got out bright and early you know before the sun came out it was great didn't kick anything up it was a short walk really quick um, and this was at your and, parents right yeah it was at my parents house yeah so I mean to, to get to the stand the, the main stand that I put up we have a couple up there but to get to the one that I really wanted to hunt out of this year it's geez I mean from doorstep to stand I would say no more than like 250 300 yards maybe right um, and and we have a, a pretty a pretty good path uh, to there so we can do it pretty pretty silently so I get up there and uh, you know everything's everything's good, nice and warm. Is actually um, it was a warm day in between two cold fronts, and I was a little disappointed because I was hoping that the cold snap would continue because that really makes for a lot of movement, especially where I'm at. Right. And uh, I guess it was around probably about like six thirty. I hear something uh, jump. I don't know if I was winded or if something else spooked it, but I couldn't tell what it was. I just saw a tail and it was about maybe 25, 30 yards, but it was in brush. And so that bounds away. And I'm thinking, um, hoping that it's not that I just didn't bust the spot for the rest of the morning. Um, but no more than I guess 40, 45 minutes went by. Here comes this real heavy seven pointer. I would say probably about, um, 16 inches wide, uh, and had, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty long brow tides. So it comes up and it's, it's on the path that it, I, um, that I've already kind of scouted out and I see where it's coming through. And, uh, (laughs) ironically enough, it, it gets to about 25 yards and it's just behind some brush and I can see it pretty clear. And it goes, uh, it goes broadside. And in my head, I'm kind of contemplating, well, do I, do I draw back on this and just kind of give it a whack through the brush, which I don't typically like, or do I wait for it to kind of come through a little bit more? <laughs> just as it went broadside, 
uh, uh, my my mom back at the house. She let the dogs out, <laughs> and uh, no, no, the, the, no, the dogs are fine. They just go out. They you know do their business and right. whatever. But anybody that knows my mom, if you're ever out with her and you kind of get separated, you listen for a cough. She's got a very distinctive cough, and she coughs fairly regularly. And I just hear this <coughs> echo coming all the way through the deer turns, <laughs> the deer turns in that direction. So completely, uh, basically turns away from me, facing the other way. And I'm thinking, okay, well, there goes that. Now it's really busted. Right, so now uh, so, he's now he's quartering away from you, right? No, now he's completely away. Okay. Not even quartering. It's okay. completely like I'm looking at his tail. You got you got you got the south end of a northbound deer. Exactly. So um, so I waited that out a little bit, and I would say after about five minutes, I kind of continued along its path, kind of tearing up some trees, sniffing, did a couple scrapes, and it got to a point where there was there's this one opening. Um, but see, I don't have a lot of cover where my stand is. So the deer has to either be looking away or occupying something else for me to be able to draw on it. And just when it kind of turned its head, which was behind a tree, I drew back. And as it was kind of coming into that clearing, it started quartering away. And as it was quartering away, I was looking at kind of where it was pointed and there was the continuation of the path which would have been just completely away from me so as it's quartering away i uh i dropped the uh the 20 yard pin um right above like right at the top of the shoulder because it's probably about 25 yards so i dropped it right at the top of the shoulder um and uh and squeezed it off and it was still dark enough where it was a little tough to judge exactly where the arrow hit and you know the deer kicked and ran off. No, was this in the was this in the morning? Yeah, this was in the morning. morning. Okay. Yeah. This so this is this is shortly after daybreak then. Ish. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. This uh, this at this point it was probably about seven thirty maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um. It, I, there wasn't the sun wasn't even up high enough to show. Um. There's a the, there's a bit of a mountain behind behind me so. The sun was up. I could see it through the trees, but not enough to put sunlight down onto me. Uh, and, you know, let the arrow fly. I knew I hit the deer, and I just sat for a little bit, probably about a half hour or so before I got down to just check for blood. Right. So I go down there. I, there's no arrow, and there's not a drop of blood. Yeah. And I am, I am just I'm baffled. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember getting that text. <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> I, wa- I walked. I, f- I followed where he ran off, probably about twenty, maybe thirty yards. To to no avail. There was no blood whatsoever. So I decided to go back up to the tree stand, gather gather my thoughts, kind of replay everything in my head. I waited about uh, probably about another hour. And I got back down and I decided, all right, I knew I hit it. I got to find some blood. If I find some blood, I can determine whether or not I'm going to kind of pull out for an extended period of time or continue on the trail if there's enough blood. So I start going in the direction which I thought it ran. Now it's so thick that once it got about 20, 30 yards away, it's gone. All I, all I hear is 
it kind of stomping through the woods and that's it. Right. And that only goes so far. So, uh, I, I ended up finding a big, a big spatter of blood. Um, and it took me probably about another 20 yards to find another spatter of blood. Still Hmm. fairly large, but what I gathered from it was it seemed like a single lung and I don't think it was coming out of, I think it was coming out of the mouth. I don't think it was coming out from the body because the arrow did not pass through. It actually still has my arrow. I did not find it. Right. Um, And so I pulled back out, uh, decided I was going to go get some lunch and uh, give it some time. So probably around one o'clock, I go back, followed it across the creek, um, found a couple more significant spatters, and then it just it evaporated. Wow. I ended up getting to the point where I probably went 100 yards in every direction from the last blood spatter, just looking for a body at that point. Right. Um, and nothing. So, yeah, I remember getting the text from you. There was you. You definitely put some time in <laughs> looking looking for that deer. And I know I spent more time looking than I actually did in the stand that that day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it's always a bummer whenever you you lose one. I know you were you were pretty well uh, distraught in the text messages that I got that I got from you. That's always a tough thing because you know as hunters, you know, yeah, we like to hunt and you know, harvest these, these, you know, deer and they provide food for, you know, our families and so on and so forth. But, you know, even though we, we kill and consume them, it's not as though, uh, um, we never like to wound something. We never like to see something get away. It's like, we always try for uh, an ethical and quick kill. And sometimes if you do, if you do this long enough, you're going to, uh, um, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have those things happen to you. You know what I mean? That's just things happen. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's it's just, it, as, as much as you want to be able to control it and and say 100% in every situation, like, I got this, whatever, things happen. And, I, I mean, you know, I've seen I've seen uh, pro staff hunters make bad shots. Right, so. yeah. Every, everybody does. Anyone who's hunted for any length of time that tells you they've never lost a deer, I will sh- – you show me that guy or that girl and I will show you someone who's not telling the truth. Right. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's just a – that's just a fact. I mean, we've had a couple run-ins similar to that. I mean, I know I told the story of Tate, you know, with the, his doe earlier in the year, which was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. heartbreaking. You know, we, we got her finally, but it was, it took some doing. Um, and then my father-in-law was actually out, uh, out near the Pittsburgh area near the, you know, in Western PA was hunting on a, uh, uh one of our family members piece of land out there mm-hmm. and, uh, had a pretty big deer, uh, come up on him. Um, you know, he didn't know exactly what it might score or whatever, but it was probably the biggest deer he's ever seen in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, hit it, hit it high, tracked it for forever. Um, <laughs> didn't find it, went back out the second day and tracked it, you know, most of the day that day too, um, trying to pick back up on a blood trail or seeing where it might've bedded down or hoping right. against hope that they just walk up on kind of what you were saying, walk up on just miraculously like, Hey, here it is, you know, it's expired and it's just laying here. Yep. Um, but, but nothing. So he, you know, of course came back home with, uh, with a heavy heart because of, because of that. Um, you know, and I gotta tell you, it's one of the, it's one of the worst feelings. It really is. Yeah. I will. Um, I've, I've clipped a few. Um, I will, I will say, um, I, I, and, uh, I've never hit something t- to the point of, of wounding to where it, it was, uh, what I'll call lethal to this point. 
Um, you know, and that was early, that was early in my, my bow hunting, um, where I took a a really high angle shot and I just, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I misjudged and I literally just kind of clipped its stomach where it's like, I saw the white hair where I I nicked it and I had just like a little bit of blood on the blade type of thing. Um, that was more of a superficial wound. Um, than anything that was going to be of, uh, of consequence to that, to that animal, so to speak. Um, but I'm sure, you know, a knock on wood, you know, I hate, I hate to say it, you know, I'm sure my time's coming for, uh, something of that nature to occur as much as I hate to say it, but like I said, well, you do this it's long like enough, it, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's like you said, it's inevitable. If yeah. you do it long enough, it's inevitable. Yeah. But I, well, I'll try to continue to, to push it off for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, you know, but when it does happen, I will be here to share my, uh, to share my woes for sure. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to have a drink for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having one right now for you actually. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a little Woodford reserve. I th- they should just sponsor the podcast. Honestly, they it's, should actually, yeah, it's, it's kind it, of a mainstay. Yeah. It seems to be, that's what I have just about every, uh, every podcast, <laughs> you know, get, get nice and, uh, loosened up to make sure that we bring the, bring the goods for the folks. I'm sure they wouldn't mind if you just said brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Free, free marketing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what are your plans here? So that, so that was kind of your, your, the summation of your, of your rut. That was kind of your, um, the, the, the one really good opportunity that you had, I know that we, you know, we talked about what are your plans for, for late season? Are you going to kind of hit the same area? Do you have, you know, you know, what, what's your tactic going forward here? So the, so that, that stand that I, that I hunt out of, that's, um, my prototypical morning stand, right? So if I'm, if I'm doing late season, yeah, I mean, I'll even do it in, in, uh, in archery, uh, or not archery, in, uh, in rifle, um, do the morning there and then probably move, uh, in the evening, but, um, yeah, I mean, that, that area is kind of a pinch point for, um, a lot of deer, especially doe. And in terms of doe, I'm really, my rifle season, I'm really looking just to put, uh, put some meat in the freezer. Right. I got a couple, I have a couple tags. So, um, yeah, at this point it's just, uh, once rifle comes, I want to at least be able to put some in the freezer and then, uh, late season archery, I can, kind of get back to uh getting some points on the board yeah and because you sent me a picture of uh, ironically your mom kind of spooked the one that you uh had had a challenge with but then she sends you a picture with her phone that she took of you know what i will say for pennsylvania we would consider a hoss that was was a big boy that was a big deer big boy Yeah. yeah So have you heard of anyone around you seeing him? Is he, do you think he's still in the area? But I mean, of course, you know, you have rifle season that's fast approaching. So his, his days yeah, could quickly be numbered. That's going to, that's going to be tough with rifle season, especially, especially where we're at. Um, you know, it really, it really is like the 4th of July out there. Right. Um, no, I haven't, I haven't heard of anybody else, uh, seeing him quite honestly. That was the first time I'd seen him. So I know, I know we're, or not I, but, um, that, I've seen a picture, a visual of him, but I know where my mom took the picture on the road, kind of right by the house of where he was. I have, I have a feeling he doesn't make it over to where, uh, to where I hunt. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, I've, because there's, there's actually a farmer across, uh, across the street that, I mean, people have asked, I've asked, you know, to, to hunt, uh, the, the field. Uh, He doesn't, he doesn't want any of it. And right. it's basically it's basically a sanctuary. So more often than not, 
the deer will come off of that field through that pinch point where I'm at, uh, and into the the woods and the timber to bed down. So essentially, if he's not living on your place or on your or calling your your folks' place his his home area necessarily, then your best chance to see him or in, or to get an arrow at him probably would have been during the rut whenever you know he probably he would have been traveling more. Yeah, yeah, what, I would I would definitely say that. I mean. You know, the uh, the full moon and peak breeding happen to be on the same day this year on the 14th. So, um, you know, it'll be the 18th when I get back out. And, you know, it's not it's certainly not ideal, but there could be worse times to uh, to try and find a big buck. So um, I'm staying optimistic. I don't know if I'm going to find that one. Uh, but you know what? As I was uh, as I was looking for the seven pointer I hit. Uh, I happened to, to bump a little four-pointer who was uh, on a doe. And in fact, I didn't even bump the four-pointer. I bumped the doe. And the doe started to, to take off. The four-pointer didn't even know I was there. It was just chasing the doe. Hey, man, whenever you, uh, you got... When you're, when you're looking... Yeah, you know. <laughs> you, you know. Uh, it takes me back to college. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, nice. I, you know what I, I actually as i was as i was looking for that seven pointer as well i came across a lot of uh, a lot of scrapes and rubs that i hadn't seen before so mm-hmm. i'm i'm really hopeful and optimistic that there is uh, a larger variety of of buck that than i had uh initially thought uh, was living there so we'll see you know anything can happen you know get in the woods it's almost like football on any given Sunday, right? That's right. Except yeah, you except, you, except you can't hunt on Sunday. <laughs> right. Yeah, Pennsylvania, you can't hunt on Sunday. So it's not really any given Sunday. <laughs> you get it, though. You get it. <laughs> I, I get it. Any, any given Monday through Friday. Right. Or, and, and Saturdays. And so, but, oh, uh, yeah, I forgot about Saturdays, which you, doesn't seem to roll off the tongue quite nah, the same. it's true. It's true. But you know what? Enough, enough about my woes. Let's, let's end on the good stuff. Yeah, so... Uh, Go ahead and ask me. Just ask me how my how my rut my rut trip went. Okay, okay, hang on. I'm gonna work up to this. <clears throat> okay. So, Clint, do you think you could elaborate on your rut trip to Ohio? If I were, <laughs> if I were going to start, I would start by woo. <laughs> Yeah, that's check the deci- <laughs> check the decibels on that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm a, I had to go just a little Ric Flair on that one. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, where where to start, man? It was just one of those things. I guess I'll start by saying that, you know, that I don't think that I'll forget anytime soon. So, um, in truth be told, just like a little plug here for um, uh, an article that I wrote. I wrote a, an, an article kind of encapsulating the the entire trip that uh, that Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt was kind enough to uh to place on his, uh, on his website. So of course you can go there and I'll put a, a link in the show notes as well to where you can kind of go and read the, read the entire rundown of the, uh, of the experience. But I, I also have man, to say, it, Clint, I, I read the article on no Charles Dickens, but it was, <laughs> it was very well written. So I, well, d- thanks, I definitely man. recommend it for a good read. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the words work. Sometimes they don't. That was, that was, that was one where they were. You were drinking, weren't you? Uh, I might have, might have had a little Woodford Reserve. Hint, hint. Um, no. So, you know, as, as the folks listening, you know, if they've listened to any of our earlier podcasts, um, you know, I, I put some time in the summer doing a lot of map scouting and, um, you know, or scouting from afar, if you will, online, trying to pull together a plan 
I was hunting an area of public land in, in, in Ohio. I guess some folks call it Southern Ohio. I, I would consider it more the center part of the state, uh, but you know, whatever folks want to refer to it as, I think they refer to it as Southern Ohio. Um, found this piece of land and, uh, my, my friend who we'll call ES, uh, had hunted there for, uh, you know, a bunch of years previously. So we planned to go out there this, this past, uh, September, I guess we went out and just did a quick day scout to kind of hopefully confirm what I was looking at in the aerial images and so forth, which was nice. Cause a lot of what I've, what I picked up from Ben Harshine from Huntera, even before he came on the podcast, just on their site and listened to him speak in a couple, a couple different platforms. I used a lot of that to kind of help me fine tune, you know, what I was looking at from a, an aerial perspective and what to kind of look for once I got on the ground. So we went out in September. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Scouted a couple areas. And, uh, you know, a couple of the areas look really promising. I know I mentioned whenever I got back that it was just, it was the land of the thick. Like the brush and the briar, the green briar was so insanely thick out there that I've never seen anything like like that as far as how how thick and grown up it is well, I, uh, um, I remember seeing some of the, the pictures you took and man no man's land yeah. out there man yeah for sure I you and, machete. yeah yeah well uh, funny story <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> could you could have used one um but uh so we of course did that scouting and you know, i had also mentioned the amount of cornfields and stuff were in the size of them were just something that i wasn't familiar with from living in pennsylvania and for the most part hunting whitetail you know most of my hunting life um uh, you know in pa um so it's just things i hadn't seen before um but you know i, I kind of went into it with knowing a couple things and i guess i'll break break it down with kind of how i approached it from the start and then i'll get into the the hunt specifically so when we went out there we of course the cornfields were as far and bean fields as far as the eye could see and some of the places we looked at were were near those um which early season i was thinking to myself those would be great places because you're still kind of working that food to bed or, or bed to food back to bed kind of patterns um, which, you know, getting yourself in between a, a, a good food source for that early part of the season would kind of, would kind of make sense. But of course I wasn't going out during the earlier part of the season. I was going out during, you know, the first, uh, the last, I guess it was the Thursday and Friday of the first week of November through the second week of November. So, you know, kind of prime what you might call like the later portion of like the pre-rut kind of leading into like the beginning of like the, the rut kind of starting to kick off, you know what I mean? Right. Um, 
So I knew that the food wasn't necessarily going to be the the hot spot, except, you know, does are going to still hit food sources because they often bed close to food sources and so on and so forth. So that all still was in play. But I also knew like anyone who was coming out here to hunt public land was going to look for an easy, easy access point. Right. And they were going to they were going to likely look for places where they were just going to see deer. You know, um, most people who are going to travel, at least in my opinion, if they're going to travel anywhere to go hunt. Um, they at least want to see deer. They don't want to go get shut out, sit after sit after sit. Right. You know what I mean? So they'll look for so, corn. Right. So they're going to look for corn. They're going to look for beans. They're going to look for where deer are going to likely feed and right. so on and so forth. And that's going to be where they're going to want to set up camp. I know that they're not going to want to walk very far from their truck. They're going to, or, you know, their truck or their car. They're going to stay within about a half mile of where their their entry point is into the timber or to the, you know, the, the finger of timber or whatever it is they're accessing. Um, and they're not going to really put much more effort into it than that. That's the average Joe, you know, going out to hunt some public land. Um, is that's, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what it is. So if you want to get to where you're going to see deer, it's like, you kind of need to, you know, go a little further. So I put my, <clears throat> my work together in in September and we came up on this one Ridge, um, that was on a river bottom, you know, the opposite side of the Ridge was of course the river bottom. And then there was an old like access road and stuff that was used for like forestry, I'm sure. And maybe some oil tankers and stuff like that to go, that go back in there. And this one Ridge was just like ridiculously steep. It was away from all the corn and, and beans, like the closest corn and beans. When I say it was away from it, I mean, it was a, a mile and a half, maybe two miles away from any, any dominant, you know, large food source. Right. Um, so I knew that I was probably going to get away from hunters if I, you know, pressure, if I got away from the corn and the beans. So that's what my plan was. And so I hiked to the top of that while we were out scouting and it was just nasty thick and it was just a straight vertical climb. Now the climb wasn't not of course, literally vertical. Um, that'd be like climbing Everest, but it was, it was a steep climb. Dramatics. Okay. I like (laughs) like where you're going. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, so it was a nasty climb through, like the worst briar and brush, high stem count, just garbage that you would ever want to see, which is just like perfect deer habitat. Right. And I was like, nobody's going to want to climb to this. Cause there's not a trail, right. There was, there was not like even the deer trails in there weren't, they were noticeable, but they weren't like, you know, what you would call like a goat path that was just like rutted into the yeah, side they of were, the ridge. They you know what I mean? Worn in or anything like that. Right. So I got up to the top of that in September and I scouted around, man. And it's just one of those areas that just looked bucky where it was like grapevines hanging down, just viney, briary, high stem count, brushy, where it's like, I mean, you couldn't see, even when I got there in November, it's like my furthest vantage point from my stand was probably 35 yards, maybe 40 if you were lucky. And that was looking through brush that wasn't like I was going to see anything specifically except maybe the visibility of like movement through that brush to know that something was there. Right. That was, that was the max, but my real visual ability in that position was 30 yards tops. And that was all I was seeing in front of me and behind me. It was less than that. It was about 15 yards. Um, so when I got up there this summer, I found a bunch of old rubs, um, that were of nice size that kind of told me that, man, this place looks like it's, it's going to get used by some bucks. Um, and if nothing else, I'm going to get away from people. So that was my plan. I earmarked out with my GPS and was like, this is where I'm coming. The first day I found a tree, uh, marked a tree. So we pile in the camper and pull the truck out or pull the camper out and get all set up. It was Thursday, I guess. And, uh, uh, got out there kind of late in the afternoon, not late in the afternoon, but late morning. And we had to get some stuff set up. So I, I knew that I was only going to get out for an evening hunt on Thursday. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and just get out, hike up to the tree that I want to get into and then lock my, I had a climber mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm just going to lock my climber onto the tree. 
and uh, just kind of get my stuff up in the tree. And I'll do an evening set and just see what I kind of see what I see that evening. And what isn't really anticipating seeing anything. Right. Because I was going to be making a little bit of noise getting in there. So I drive out to the place from camp, hop into the timber, got my GPS. I'm all set. It's probably about, I don't know, one, two o'clock, something like that. Um, hiking up in there, I get up so far and like, I'm kind of on the right path, but I'm like, man, this thing, nothing's really looking familiar to me. And, uh, decide to kind of just scout around a little bit while I was up there just to see if I could find some fresh sign. Well, wouldn't you know it after I got about 30 to 45 minutes into the woods or into the timber. And like, you know, when you're out there, these are some large blocks of timber. They're not, it's almost like it's, it's, um, it's the big woods, you know, like when we talked to the folks like with Chad from Exodus and he was talking about wanting to hunt the, uh, the, the big woods, you know, when you're talking about mountains and stuff like that, that's what this terrain was. And man, you can get turned around quickly in those places because everything kind of looks the same. Yep. So wouldn't you know it, my GPS completely died. Like I just checked the batteries before we left and it completely <laughs> <laughs> poo-pooed on me. And I kind of had a, like an, an oh crap moment while I was standing there because I'm in the big woods of a place I've, I've been only one other time months ago. It, everything looks completely differently, different, obviously, because the leaves have all come off and stuff like that. And I was in it in September when it was all full of leaves and, you know, you couldn't really see anything. So it wasn't like I could really identify any landmarks or anything like that. Right. And the entire place is nothing but like brush, old fallen trees and stuff like that. So it's not like you could even say, Hey, I got to make a left at that down tree because there's 40 of them on the way to wherever you're going. <laughs> you know what I mean? That all kind of look the same. So I kind of was like, all right, I need to get to like a vantage point to where I can see the river. Cause if I can find the river, I'll know at least like roughly where my truck is. And then I can get back at least to the road because it was at the peak of a ridge. So each side was down. So if I picked the wrong downside, then I was walking to who knows where, right, you know what I mean? Right. So I did manage to like navigate my way to a point to where I could kind of see the river through like the tree line and figured out what way was at least remotely back toward the truck. And, uh, got myself kind of situated. And then now I was like, all right, I'm just going to find a tree. I'm going to look for the freshest sign I can find. And I'm just going to set up on fresh sign because this is public land. I don't know a lot about it other than what I picked up from when I was there in September. Um, and found some fresh, uh, some fresh scrapes and uh, a couple fresh rubs along this, uh, ridgeline mm-hmm. in the, in this one area just kind of looked real nasty thick. Um, that was behind the tree that I ended up picking. And I was like, all right, this looks like a good enough spot to kind of set up for the first set, um, at least tonight. And then I'll give it a I'll give it a go tomorrow too and just see what happens if, if I get completely shut out, then I'll have to, you know, rethink my strategy here. Right. So climb that tree, of course, Thursday night didn't see anything. Right. So, which is expected. So I'm coming down off the mountain and I came down, um, with just enough daylight because of course I didn't have a GPS. (laughs) Um, so I wanted to be able to at least navigate down kind of I need to get home (laughs) and I'm going to foreshadow a little bit here because it's kind of good that I did because I had a little snafu, like, uh, like a a little bit later with, uh, with a, uh, with a headlamp that may or may not have worked. Um, so if if you don't, if you, if you go and do not have technical difficulties at any point, then it's a godsend because uh, (laughs) you just, you and technology, (laughs) dude, it happens all the time. I don't know what the deal is, but it's, but anyway, so I get down to the bottom of the ridge when I'm leaving Thursday night to go back to camp and I had just enough daylight left to where I was like, you know what? I'm going to scout around on this bottom here where like you kind of walk in at, right? Um, because it was really, really thick, like high stem count saplings that were in there and it just and when we scouted it earlier there was in the in september there were some decent sized rubs from a previous year that were in there like some monster rubs mm-hmm. some old rubs but monster rubs and i was like eh, you know this probably is a place that they're going to use year after year so i walked back through there 
and found some areas that looked like to be pretty good buck bedding. And I found a monster scrape and a, a large enough size tree to where it's like, I was feeling pretty good that that's, that's not a, I'm not saying it's a, you know, 160 class or 180 class deer, but it's like, it was a size of tree where I was like, and the, and the gouges in it were pretty significant. Yeah. Um, it's a, where I was it like, counts. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's promising. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't want to read too much into it, but I was like, this is good. Like I found sign up by where I put my stand and I have fresh sign down here. And both of them had just been freshened up within like the last 24 hours ish. So I left feeling pretty good. Uh, Saturday or Friday rather got up, got into the stand. Um, that ascent didn't go too bad, if I'm not mistaken. That one was, I won't say it was effortless, but it was, uh, I, I didn't get lost, which was, which was a plus. <laughs> and I managed to have light, so that was good. Nice. And uh, got in my stand, and first thing in the morning, uh, had this uh, five-point kind of run through. It was a heavy, heavy horn five-point, and spent a little time with me, which was awesome. He kind of peacocked in, checked his scrape a little bit, um, strutted around like he was the man. And, uh, so you actually, you ended off. up making friends with this five point, didn't you? I, I did end up making friends with this five point because this guy showed up just about every day. Uh, well, he did show up every day. I saw him every day that I sat there. Right. Um, uh, nice, nice looking deer, heavy horn. Like he, his two, his two main beams were like baseball bats. Um, and real, real tall, not real wide. Um, you know, probably could turn into something here in like the next year or two possibly. Right. Um, but he came in and paid me a visit and walked right underneath my stand, um, spent a little bit of time around the stand and, uh, and, and then carried on his way. And then I sat the rest of the day and then, you know, the, 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 the golden hour kind of showed up in the afternoon where deer should start to move. And I had another small buck, um, just a little spike and, uh, um, a doe kind of walk up on me and, uh, they spent probably, man, I don't know, probably an hour underneath my stand and literally walked up, sniffed my tree and just kind of hung out. So it was just awesome. I was like, this is awesome. I'm seeing deer naturally moving. This is exactly what I wanted. They're not pressured. No one's bumping them. You can tell they're not being, you know, affected by people hunting near me. And every time I drove in to my spot, there was one truck that parked about a mile and a half away, oddly enough, right near the corn. Um, uh, where I'm sure he was, there was this big cut that kind of run between these two ridges. And I'm sure he was just walking up in through that area to hunt. Um, so I had really no one around me as far as like people who were parking near me. So I felt pretty good about the fact that I had most of the area that I was hunting to myself. Um, I came down that night. Uh, it was a good hunt. I was feeling pretty good. I wasn't going to draw back on that five point just because I was kind of after something bigger. Um, and, you know, and I was hoping that I would get a chance to see, you know, I was really kind of targeting an eight point was what I wanted. That was kind of my goal. And I was like, you know, as the week would wear on, I told myself if I had ran across a nice six point, I would potentially take that if the week was kind of, you know, coming to a close and I hadn't been getting a lot of action. Right. So I get up on Saturday, um, bright and early, of course, and run into the woods getting ready to climb in, you know, of course I dress on my tailgate and do all that stuff. Uh, that way I'm all scent free and run an ozone machine, in my truck on my way to the, on, on my way to the site and all that good <laughs> stuff and wipe down with field wipes on my tailgate and in my underwear and at like four o'clock in the morning, which is nice and cold. And it's always nice when people drive by and see you at that time of the day, uh, time of the morning, uh, doing that. I don't know what um, they're doing driving by at that time in the morning, but <laughs> yeah, I, right? I want to be them because they're partying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, getting all ready, I get ready to climb up into the woods, put my headlamp on, go to turn it on, and it is now dead. So now I'm trying to figure out, like, all right, I have no light. It's crazy foggy out. Like, I can't even see probably 10 feet in front of me. Um, I have no light. 
And I mean, my GPS is working now, but I don't know how I'm going to carry my bow, my, turn my iPhone light on, and then hold my GPS to figure out where I'm going because I refused to put any kind of uh, trail markers up because I didn't want anyone happen to come by, see my truck, and then watch me leave, sure, yeah. and then walk up in there and see where I'm entering and start to f- try to figure out where I'm hunting. Like I'm just, I guess uh, yeah, you don't you don't want to pave of- the way to Midas's kingdom. <laughs> Right. I got a little bit of that tin tin foil hat syndrome going on there with that kind of stuff where I wasn't going to be real uh, open about where that was that was at. So so that was a challenge getting up in the tree that morning. Like I wandered off my path, like not super far, but I took a very what we'll call a circumlocutious route to get to my stand that morning. Roundabouts. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I got there, uh, climbed up into my tree um, five right at daybreak, like clockwork, five point comes back. Um, he's feeling pretty good about himself. Um, you know, strutting around, checks his scrape again, a peacocks around a little bit, takes off. And then I had nothing the rest of the day, the rest of the morning into the afternoon. Mm. And, um, this was Saturday. And, um, so I'm sitting there and the, uh, um, I guess around, I mean, I don't know, it was probably just a little bit before four o'clock and I heard something behind me, like it dried out really nice. Like at the end of the day, like every morning was really kind of dewy. So the morning, it wasn't real. The woods were really, really quiet because the leaves had a lot of dew on them. Mm-hmm. And so it was usually if I saw something, it was, it was on me pretty quickly. Um, you know, before I knew that it was, before I knew that it was there. Now the bonus was that it was so thick where my stand was set up that I had one thirty-three shooting yard or 33 yard shooting lane in front of me. I had a 23 yard lane to my left. Um, and then the lanes behind me was one at 15 and one at like seven or something like that. Um, so I was covered up with brush to where it's like nothing was going to see me unless I blew up my own spot by doing something stupid. Um, cause I had deer on top of me and they had no clue that I was there. So I'm sitting <clears throat> kind of waiting and, uh, I start hearing something at first. I thought it might've been some squirrels, but it just kind of kept getting closer and closer methodically. And, uh, I was like, all right, well, those are two very distinctive sounds. It's two has to be two deer. So I'm just kind of listening and listening. And it probably took them, I want to say probably 20 minutes, if not a little longer to like from the time that I heard them, um, to the time that I actually got a visual on one of them. And I saw a doe off to my right. And this was that brush I was talking about that I could kind of see 40 yards through, but it was just, I, I could see legs and that was it. So I knew it was a deer. I didn't know what it was. Um, but there was another one that was kind of behind me over my right shoulder c- still coming, but that brush back there is just so thick. It almost looks like it's impenetrable. Like you just wonder how anything would walk through it. And, uh, so I'm listening, I'm watching the doe cause I'm like, is there anything following her? I'm listening to him kind of looking behind me to see, you know, what's this coming behind me. Finally, I'm looking behind me and then I just see antlers emerge from the brush. Boom. Bing. There they are. Yeah. Shooter eight. He's at 20 yards and there is not a thing I can do about it because there is just a mountain of brush between me and him. Mm. I tried to get him on film. I got a little bit of him on film, um, but it was just so thick that you couldn't really make out much on the, on the camera. Right. He comes in there and just throws his head down, starts shaking trees and spent like five minutes just putting on a performance. Like he was really trying to press this, this, his lady friend, I'm the man, I'm the man. <laughs> yeah. So he does that for about five minutes and I'm watching this doe cause I'm che- keeping an eye on her. Cause I'm like, if she, I don't know where she's going to go and I really don't want her to blow up my spot, of course. And there's really only one place that she could. And if it's, it's basically, if she gets directly out in front of me, I took out two smaller trees so I could have a 33 yard shooting lane directly in front of me. And that is the only place that I don't have cover. Like the only spot um, is just directly in front of me. Um, and 
So she's making her way along this brush line because it's basically where I'm sitting and I have that 33-yard space. And then there's another big batch of greenbrier and, and thicket slash brush right in front of me. It's like a wall of it, right? And I have, I'm really in the only open-ish area. And wouldn't you know it, she starts kind of curving her way around and she's following this line right along this brush edge that is going to bring her right through that 33-yard lane. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden this buck kind of starts following her, starts trailing her. He was being a gentleman. He wasn't pushing her. You know, time wasn't right, but, you know, she was probably getting close for, for breeding time. So he was he was on her, but not not dogging her hard or anything like that. Right. And uh, he so he dips down now and starts following her line. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like she's going to, she's going to bring him right through like the one spot where I have nothing but like air and opportunity between me and, and, and a shooter. Right. How did I get so lucky? I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, it's going to work out like this, where this is just going to kind of like, I'm going to watch all this, this whole show he put on, you know, kind of courting his lady and, and grunting. And because I mean, they were grunting and stuff like that. Um, so I'm watching and now she's, getting a little close to me for comfort, right? Like I'm getting a little nervous because she's getting closer. Cause after she passed that 33 yard lane, she now started cutting up toward that 23 yard lane, which I have plenty of cover there. But if I'm going to try to get in a position to make, make a shot, it's like, I'm gonna have to move a little bit and I have to keep an eye on her. And you know, there's a pinch point where this, uh, where this drainage cut that was to my left kind of comes up to the top of the ridge and there's a tree there and there's a pinch point between the brush that tree and like the beginning of the drainage cut that has nothing but green briar and brush in it. And there's one little trail that kind of runs through there. And like, you could tell deer were funneling through there and she was making her way toward that. Mm-hmm. So, so Buck starts working his way toward me and he's probably 10 yards from this. If that from this 33 yard window that I have to take a shot and I'm clipped on, I haven't drawn yet, but I'm clipped on kind of ready to go and I'm watching her and getting nervous cause she's getting closer and he's working his way to that that shooting lane. Then all of a sudden for no reason at all, he just dips down. Not no reason at all. No reason that I know. Right, I right, should say right. he, I'm sure he had a reason, um, but dips down into that wall of brush that was 33 yards in front of me. Ugh. And yeah. So you can imagine my, like, like my heart just sank. Cause I was like, you gotta be kidding me. He's going to walk away from me, you know? So now a couple of the deer earlier that I had seen that five point and so forth, like I would, before I could see them, like I, I had grunted cause I'd heard some grunting and they would come in. Um, so I kind of knew in this area that grunting would, would work, right. right? The deer that I'd seen had been showing some aggression and stuff like that, checking scrapes, kind of puffing up a little bit, peacocking. And so as he worked his way away from me, he got down into this brush and now he was maybe, you know, I don't know, probably he was 40 to 50 yards away. And once he got out of eyesight to where I couldn't see him, I hit and that doe was out of eyesight. I hit him with a grunt just to see what kind of response I would get from him. As soon as I grunted, man, he thrashed a tree out in front of me, just put on another show, just shaking trees. And all I could see were the the trees shaking. And I'm like, I'm like, this is a good sign. Like he's game. He wants to play. So I grunted that one time and I just stopped and I waited and I waited for probably 10 minutes and he made all this noise coming to me. And then all of a sudden when I grunted and he, after he shook that tree, he went completely quiet, like no sound whatsoever. (laughs) And I sat there for 10 minutes and waited and, you know, I was thinking to myself, he's either down there and just decided to bed down and that doe's now looped back around and headed down that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or, or he's looping back up this way, but trying to catch back up with that doe and isn't, has lost interest in maybe scuffling with somebody and, and trying to defend his, his, his lady friend. Um, so I was like, well, I'll throw out one more grunt. Um, 
because I could hear him grunting like as he was kind of like down there. I heard like one grunt after I uh, after he was shaking the tree and then he went completely quiet and I, I got nothing. I didn't hear him move. Right. So I was like, I'll throw out one more grunt and see if maybe I can change his mind. If he's within earshot, which I was assuming he was, maybe he'll come back. So I threw out a grunt and man, I know better than this. And anytime I'm going to call, I I will always kind of check and observe my surroundings to make sure that there's nothing that has snuck in on me that's gonna that I'm gonna spook with a call. Oh, yeah. And just I got lost in the moment and the enthusiasm of like what I was watching. I was watching the rut in action. I was watching some, you know, a a a, a buck, you know, kind of not chasing a doe but following a doe and watching him kind of thrash trees, which to be honest with you, that was the first time I've ever seen that in the deer woods, like a deer put on that kind of performance. And uh the my enthusiasm got the better of me. I didn't observe I hit the grunt tube. I happened to turn to my left to pick up my bow, um, which is probably another, which is another dumb mistake. I should have had my bow in my hand to begin with. And when I did that, he was standing at my left at the uh, 23 yard shooting window that I had. He had showed up looking for a fight, but came quiet to me. So I actually put out this thing on Instagram, which was like the face of a guy who just blew an opportunity at a shooter, man, because I was pretty (laughs) disgusted. Um, I wasn't real happy, um, obviously pretty down at that moment, because especially when you're hunting public land in a place you've never been before and you kind of put all the pieces together and you do get an opportunity at a shooter and you blow it. It's like I'm thinking to myself, this is the only probably the only shooting opportunity I'm going to get, because not only I mean, I thought that I would continue to see more deer. But I had such limited shooting lanes that I just didn't know that I was ever going to get another one to work into a place that I could get a shot. You know what I mean? So I was bummed out, but then I kind of like quickly kind of realized I was like, man, you know, the experience I'm having with like seeing these bucks come in and seeing them puff up and check scrapes and, you know, rip trees up and stuff like that. I was like, this is awesome. I was like, I can't complain about this. It's like, I I don't ever see that kind of action in the, in the deer woods in in PA or I never have, you know, I was like, I've never seen the rut like that before. Um, so, you know, since my headlamp wasn't working, I was like, you know, I should probably just climb out of the tree now while I'm ahead of the game before I get covered up in deer during the evening here. Cause this was about four 30 now, or actually it was about five o'clock, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was like, I should probably just climb out of my tree now and get out of here while I can still see that way. I'm not bumbling through the woods here after, uh, you know, when deer are moving. So I hopped down, got out and head back to camp pretty bummed out. But I was like, you know, I'm seeing awesome action. I'm going back, you know, and I usually don't sit the same stand like over and over, but I wasn't getting busted. <laughs> Nothing that came through knew that I was even had an inkling of an idea that I was there. Right. So I felt pretty good about my chances and I had great concealment, you know, and my scent control was obviously working pretty well and I was playing the wind pretty well, I, I su- suppose, because I, I was tipping nothing off. Um, so I headed back up there Sunday and just, you know, as the, uh, the, the deer gods would have it, it was a clean ascent. It was the easiest climb up the entire trip. It was, I found my tree right away. GPS worked the, and at this point I didn't need the GPS. I bought a new headlamp. So that actually worked. So I was able to find my way up there and it was the one morning that didn't, wasn't completely foggy. So the moment I got in the tree stand, the leaves were crisp. Nice. Right. So I could hear like right away. Right. So right before daybreak, I hear some grunting behind me, which was kind of a staple for the morning. I would hear some grunting. I grunted back, um, had a, a shooter, um, uh, eight come in, was a different shooter than the, than the, the day before. Um, came within about 20 yards, but was still covered up in brush off to like my, over my left shoulder. And, uh, and he was good looking kind of weird. Like I was, I didn't quite know why he hung up where he did. Cause he was coming to me. And I was, I was pretty stoked. I thought I was going to get a shot. And uh, then he just kind of hung up in the brush all of a sudden. It was kind of confusing. Then I heard some noise to my left. Um, now I'm turned around looking into the brush. So this would have been my left or over my right shoulder if I were sitting in my stand. And uh, 
And then out popped another buck. This little four point came in and thought that he might own the area, but he ran up against a guy who was a little bit bigger. So the eight point, you know, pawed the ground a little bit, stomped his front foot, you know, and they kind of had a standoff. I thought they were going to throw down for a second, but <laughs> the four point decided that he should, uh, he should think better of that and save himself uh, an ash chapping and, and, uh, and just kind of dipped his head into the, uh, in the brush and kind of moseyed along. Um, the eight point kind of, peacocked around a little bit checked some stuff out ripped up a tree and then uh turned tail and kind of went back toward that four point just i think to make sure he got the message and i heard some grunting and carrying on back there and then i didn't see either of those two again um heard another grunt off kind of like more to like my right if i were sitting in my stand i hit the grunt tube and and this was my my little buddy five point that happened to run in again and he yeah (laughs) and this dude was ready to roll man like he came in on a dead sprint (laughs) stopped all puffed up, bristled up, ready to rock, grabbed a tree, ripped up a tree, thrashed his head around a little bit, ducked down in the brush a little bit, came running back up. I mean, he, he did this for probably like 10 minutes, just running back and forth like, like a maniac. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know that he had a point to what he was doing or if he was just really confused or I'm not quite sure what his deal (laughs) was, but he put on a show. So I had bucks all around me. Those three kind of playing around with them because the first two showed up and they were there for a little while. Then the, then the five point showed up and he was there for a little while. So it was from like seven 30 to like nine o'clock. I had them kind of all around my tree, um, at different times. So, you know, we, that kind of passes and I'm sitting down and kind of just hanging out in my tree stand and watching some squirrels and stuff like that. And I'm not really getting any action, nothing kind of moving through. And, um, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, you know, these deer have been responding to grunts. Every time I've thrown out a grunt call, I've had one coming. Like the one came in on a string, mm-hmm. you know, that five point. The other ones have come in, you know, looking for looking for trouble, so to speak, or to defend their turf, or at least you're curious enough to see what, what was going on. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm not a fan of blind calling necessarily, but based on what I've been seeing and the reaction that the deer have been giving me and like their, their kind of their mannerisms and personalities – I was like, I'm just going to throw out a blind call here and see if there's something that might be bedded down on the other side of this drainage cut that, you know, that obviously that I can't see. Right. So one thirty, I threw out a blind, uh, blind grunt. I immediately heard something jump up like now and was coming through the brush and they were coming on a rope. Like there was no doubt it was coming. And I was like, well, the only thing that's going to respond like that, it's a buck. So I stood up immediately, kind of got myself positioned, clipped on my, uh, clipped on my release and was, and was ready. Now I'm thinking to myself, it's probably going to be that, that five point or a scrub or whatever. I'm standing there watching. It sounds like he's going to come through that pinch point at the top of the drainage cut starts working his way toward me, working his way toward me. Then all of a sudden, man, out of nowhere, I just see antlers. I didn't count points. I didn't count <laughs> anything. I just saw enough bone where I was like, shooter, <laughs> get the job done. You, tur- you turned into the deer <laughs> headlights, didn't you? I tur- Yeah. But it was weird because like, I don't even remember drawing my bow. Like it just, I went on complete autopilot. Like the next thing I remember, I saw antlers and I just remember saying to myself, myself shooter. And before I saw antlers, I quickly rearranged that tree just to make sure it was a 23 yards. And it was, I saw a bone and I was like, shooter. I don't really remember anything. I don't remember drawing my bow. The next thing I remember is I'm looking through my sight and he's moved and he hasn't moved and he's kind of hung up and he hasn't gotten to my shooting window. And my shooting window was really only a spot that was maybe like three feet wide through like branches and twigs. Like I had like a small window that I could get through. Right. And that was, and that was it. Um, and he had to stop with his vitals in that hole or else I was just out of luck. And 
So I, I put, I didn't put my bow down, but I just kind of pulled it away because I was resituating my feet. I put it back up at full draw and he came to that window. I mouth bleeded to stop him because I needed to stop him. He stopped. And as soon as he stopped, I had the 20 yard pin. I knew it was 23. So I held just a little high and uh, he was quartering hard toward me. So I was, you know, putting it right behind the front shoulder, hoping to get a, a pass throughout the, you know, the back side of the rib cage. Right. And, uh, and I touched off and bam, I knew I hit him. I saw it hit him through my, through my, my sight. I watched it hit him. He mule did the classic mule kick bounced off a tree. There's a big blood spot on the tree. He lunged over this, uh, that ravine that was there, that drainage cut. And I heard him crashing through the woods. And then I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, go down, go down, <laughs> go down. Cause I'm like, this, this was the biggest deer that I've ever seen in the woods. And, uh, I heard what I thought was crashing, but then I heard him move again. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And then I heard the two big exhales where it sounded like the lung, the air were going out of his lungs and I heard a crash. So I was pretty confident that he went down, but then I start like going through like everything in my mind of like, was it a good shot? Was it too high? Did I hit him good? You know, did, was that a crash or did he just like get to a place where I can't hear anymore? Like you start running through all these things. So I did make the one smart move where I sat in my stand for an hour, longest hour of my life <laughs> before, before I got down. I of course texted everybody and anybody who was, had a cell phone in Northern America. Um, and, uh, finally got down and went and looked at the blood spot and I found good blood right where I hit him with some bubbles in it. And the, the blood was the color that you're looking for that would tell you that it's likely a lung shot. I tracked a man and in 30 minutes, I put my hands on a, um, 125 inch Ohio public land, uh, bruiser, um, and was beside myself with joy, man. It was, uh, um, I couldn't have dreamed up a better hunt, seeing better action than I, than I got to see. Um, and then just capping it with, you know, taking, taking that, that animal and, you know, those deer allowing me to kind of participate in their world for a couple of days and watch things that I've never seen before was just, uh, it was just, it was definitely an experience that, that, you know, changes the way you think about a lot of things, I guess you could say. Um, for sure, and just, definitely. you know, and, and I don't know, uh, I'll never, I'll never forget it. That's for sure. It was my first public land buck. It was my first Ohio buck. And, uh, and it was actually my first buck taking, taken with a bow. Um, I've taken, you know, plenty of does with a bow and, um, you know, several bucks with a, with a rifle over the years of hunting and stuff like that. But this was the first buck that I've taken in archery. Um, and I'm, you know, like I mentioned in the article that I wrote, I'm sure there's you know, there's bigger deer out there, no doubt. You know, he was 125 inches. Um, but man, that, that deer was, was more than 125 inches to me with the experience that the, uh, that the deer woods gave me over the course of those, those four days. So forever grateful. And that was my, uh, that was my rut experience, man. And I don't know, uh, I don't quite know how I'm going to, how I'm going to top that, but we'll, uh, we'll try here over the, over the course of the, the next several years. You know, I don't, I don't think anything's ever going to top it. I mean, just based off of the, the multitude of firsts that you had just based on that yeah. one experience. I mean, I don't think anything's going to top it in terms of whitetail. Now I yeah. know that, yeah. I know that you're talking about a little, little DIY Montana elk trip next year. We'll say, we'll yeah. say that for later. So that could be a completely different experience for completely different reasons. But in yeah. terms of this, I wouldn't expect to top it. In fact, I would I would look for uh, for other attributes or other things from different hunts that maybe you didn't experience here. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't right. necessarily go back out saying, "Oh, how am I ever going to top this again?" Because you're not. It's it's a given. Right. You won't. 
But um, right. yeah, man, that's that's great. I I for one am certainly uh, I'm definitely happy for you. Um, I know the amount of time and effort you put in, in terms of scouting, getting boots on the ground out there and checking it out yourself. Uh, so you know what? There's nothing more rewarding than uh, than coming home with some some meat and uh, and a nice rack to put up on the wall. Yeah, and the the cool thing was is you know obviously it's out there with Es and, and Tate and uh, you know Tate was kind of having a slow go and so I told him I was after I got mine the next day I told him I was like man the, the rut is on in that spot I was like I found a little honey hole you know up up there that's really hard to get to and I, I'm I'm dead set I mean I, I I'm pretty certain there was a hot doe in the area which was kind of making the bucks go go a little nutty you know I, I would almost you know make I, I would almost put money on that. But just the sign that was there from years past and just the fact that it's as hard to get to as it is and just nasty terrain. I was like, I don't know. I feel like that spot's kind of like a place that's a little a little honey hole because I, I just don't think a lot of people are willing to, to put in the effort to get there and, and hunt in tight quarters like that. They all say it. You know, if, if, if you right. want to find the big deer, go where most people aren't willing to go. Right, and then I got the uh, I got the green briar rip <laughs> arm rips from <laughs> to, to show man. It's like I came back looking like I got into a fight with Edward Scissorhands from all the hikes up through that stuff, and I was just got ripped up. But so you know, I put Tate up in my stand after I got out, took my stuff down, and I put I took him up there and put his tree stand up. And uh, two days later, he took a nice eight point from the same spot, and he saw, had the same experience I did, where deer were coming in, grunting, thrashing trees, doing you know, putting on all the antics and. And he happened to, uh, to get it done too. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause like the, you know, all the guys at camp, we stayed at this, uh, a campsite where we pulled our camper in and like all the guys saw the deer and they come around and, you know, congratulate you of course. And that's probably one of my biggest takeaways, man. It was like, after I post everything on social media and, um, uh, you know, that I got him in some pictures and stuff like that. And, um, all the guys I talked to at the, at the deer camp there at the campsite, you know, a lot of times you get guys who are just, you know, envious or jealous or whatever. And, um, don't really have a genuine, like, con- don't give you necessarily a genuine congratulations or whatever. Not that I'm necessarily looking for it, but I have to say, you know, for all the things that, you know, sometimes we as hunters complain about that there's this, uh, divide between hunters and so forth. I didn't experience any of that. Like I didn't have one negative comment on my Facebook feed, on my Twitter feed, on my Instagram feed, or while I was in Ohio, everyone was genuinely stoked that someone had the experience that, that I had, you know, which was, uh, which was nice to see, you know, cause, uh, I think sometimes we, uh, we get a little green with envy and as I think it's just a good reminder that man, you know, we're all hunters, we're all in the same boat. We all have a lot of similar experiences and we should just be glad when someone gets to, gets to have that experience that, uh, that they're fortunate enough to do so. Yeah. It's, I, I, I couldn't have said it any better, uh, Clint, cause in all honesty, like I have, I have felt like that in the past, um, in certain mm-hmm. situations and, and totally, uh, not relevant to, to what you did, but I mean, like what you did from the entire experience perspective, like, there is, there's nothing to be jealous about. In fact, there's nothing but congrats to hand out in my opinion. I think, you know, you, you did the work, you, you did it on your own for the most part and, and you earned it, you know, yeah, I, I, can, yeah. I mean, I, I see, I see sometimes where people they'll get, they'll get jealous because, you know, you have your, uh, your once your once a year or your first day rifleman go out on the first day and, and and bag a decent buck and you're like man this guy literally hasn't shot a rifle in almost 364 days goes go, <laughs> right. goes out and gets lucky and and here you are putting in time and effort and you know you could get skunked that year who knows 
So you could, yeah, because I mean, I could easily go back next year and do, you know, follow my same approach, and I could go back and just, you know, see. I could sit out grind, you know, grinding sits all day every day, you know, and and see nothing. And that was my big thing for this year, man. Was that, you know, when November hits, you know, put my put my butt in the stand before daylight. You know, I try to get in an hour before daylight, and I sit till you know. 30, 40 minutes after dark all day, right, you know, right. and that's my plan. And that was my plan going to Ohio was I had 10 days and I was going to sit all day, every day for 10 days, if that's what it took. Um, but, uh, you know, got it done in four. So I ended up, uh, doing some, uh, some day drinking of, of, <laughs> of fine pilsners <laughs> at the camp or why everyone else was out hunting. And, uh, but it was, which was great. You know, it was fun. You know what, that, that works too. You get it done early and, uh, you can get, you can enjoy yourself then. Yeah, I became I became cook and cleaner of the camper there, essentially there for the remainder <laughs> of the trip. But with that, I know we kind of are running a little long here um, and want to get this thing wrapped up. Uh, but before we go, Phil, is there anything else that you have to share? No, I, actually, I hope um, soon I'll have something to share. But you know, we'll stay tuned and uh, hopefully I have some good news for everybody. But um, no, nothing at this time. Awesome. Yeah, I think the only other thing I would add is I hope everyone out there that's listening is having a great hunting season and are, are finding success in the deer woods, whether that means a harvest or just an experience. And uh, if you're finding those successes and uh, you would like to share any of your stories, you know, we're open to either hearing them and potentially bringing folks on the podcast to share those experiences and stories. Or if there's something, you know, you'd like to write a small snippet article, what have you for um, you know, to kind of detail your story, we would be happy to take a look at it and potentially include it in one of our blog posts or, or something, just cause I think it's good to kind of share, share what we're all doing, um, you know, and give people a platform to kind of share their, their experiences and their, and their love for the outdoors. So we're happy to kind of take part in helping you do that. And, uh, and yeah, we, we would love to do that. So I think if there's nothing else to share, that is a, uh, that's it for today. So that's a wrap, uh, sir. Well, I think, yeah, that is a wrap. So we're going to go ahead and take off. We'll see y'all. All right. Take it easy. All right, that is a wrap for today, folks. We just want to thank all of you for tuning in and absolutely appreciate you willing to spend an hour of your day uh, with us. I uh, also want to thank our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Uh, please feel free to visit them at exodusoutdoorgear.com and follow them all the, on all their social platforms. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can, of course, subscribe uh, to the podcast feed via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and uh, that will ensure that you'll receive the newest podcast every other week uh, directly to all of your devices. And until next time, y'all take care. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.